Hey family, I want you to get your Bibles if you haven't already got them, and I want you to join with me this morning as we study the Word of the Lord together. You know, I've often wondered about what the disciples must have felt like after Easter. I mean, think about having denied the Lord. Think about, you know, some of them not even showing up, like Thomas, who didn't show up at all when the disciples were gathered together. Peter was going back to his old life of fishing, and for my earliest days in Sunday school, I can remember the flannel graph pictures that would be put up, and I could see, and in my mind's eye, I can still see those images of, of the shame that the disciples would have felt, the sadness they would have felt. But then there are those images of Jesus restoring them, and the smile coming back, and the joy coming back, and you say, Pastor, those are childhood flannel graphs, but they made such a huge difference in my life in perceiving and understanding how God deals with our fears and how God deals with our shame. In particular, I think about Thomas who said, unless I can see him, unless I can put my fingers in the, the nails and his prints in his hands and put my hand in his side, he said, I won't believe and Jesus, in his loving and his wonderful way, he shows up to Thomas and he shows him the reality of life, the reality of life that would not exist were it not for Christ. The reality of your life this morning is what I want to look at. And I want to talk about two things post-Easter, and that is how we can overcome, how we can defeat through Christ the fear and the shame in our lives. And all of us struggle with fear. All of us struggle with shame. Some people won't admit it, and those people eventually begin to have mental health problems. They begin to have relational problems. And I don't want you to be like that. I want you to face the reality of life. But first of all, I want us to go to the book of Psalms this morning, a prayer that I have prayed with so many people in my pastoral work and sometimes even in the hospitals praying with people. But let's look at Psalms 34, verse 4 and 5. Are you ready? Read it out loud with me. If you've got your family together, just read it out loud. It'll be up on the screen. I prayed to the Lord, and He answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Let's say that together. He freed me from all my fears. Matter of fact, let's say it out loud together today. He frees me from all my fears. So let's just... Let's just make it a, a, a very positive moment right now. He frees me from all my fears. Those who look to Him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Underline that in your Bibles this morning or circle it. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. And friends, how many times have we felt what this passage of Scripture says We've actually felt the shame of our sin. We've felt the shame of a decision that we've made. We've felt the shame of something we've neglected. It's darkened our countenance. It's darkened our face. It's darkened our emotions. This morning, I walked into this sanctuary out of the bright sunlight into this dark sanctuary, and immediately it took a few moments for my eyes to, to open up. I had to ask somebody what color shirt they had on because... My eyes didn't adjust that quickly to the, from the bright light to this dark sanctuary. And shame and fear will do that to our countenance. It will darken the way we look at life. 
And as your pastor, one of the things I've always tried to teach you is God wants us to look carefully at every facet of our life. You know, leaders can't be leaders unless they're willing to look at the reality of the present moment. But when you look at the reality of the present moment, you don't have to accept the present moment and say nothing will ever change. But you do have to look at the reality of the present moment and face it. It's kind of like debt. You know, if you're ashamed of your debt, you're never going to get rid of it. You have to make a plan and address it. So let's look at another passage this morning from Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 8. A person who fears God deals responsibly with all of reality, not just a piece of it. Circle that word responsibly. We have to deal responsibly with reality and not just a piece of it. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about something that I believe is so important that God left it as a part of the biblical record and the history of Christ's crucifixion, His resurrection, and what He did in that in-between time before He ascended back to heaven and the day of Pentecost took place. And that was He dealt with the fear and the shame that the disciples must have experienced before the day of Pentecost happened. And I want to tell you, we need a move of the Holy Spirit. We need revival. We crave revival. Our nation needs a revival of godliness. Our nation needs a, a work of grace. And I believe that God is ready to pour out from heaven that work of grace if, if we as the people of God, beginning with us, will deal responsibly with the reality of life as it is today and not just a piece of it. One of the things that we have to deal with is that everything in our world has been marred by sin. Creation has been marred by sin. Our relationships have been marred by sin. Our health has been marred by sin. Business is marred by sin. Agriculture is marred by sin. There's not anything that exists in the world today or even in the entire universe that hasn't been marred by the fact of, of the sin of mankind. The second thing I want you to know is that God sent Jesus Christ not just to save us from our sins, but to save us from hell and to save us for heaven, but to save us for a life now that Jesus describes as abundant, a, a life now that's filled with love and a life that is filled with joy and peace. And so we, we not, when we talk about salvation, the Bible doesn't just talk about salvation from hell or salvation for heaven, but it talks about the life that you and I can live now that should be characterized by joy and peace and love, and yes, that God even wants to prosper us. But there's something else the Bible teaches, and that is each one, each one of us, one day, we're going to give an account of our life to God. One day I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus. And if I'm asked, why should I be allowed to enter into heaven? The only thing I'm going to be able to say is the blood of Jesus and His righteousness. I stand on nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And for all Christians, that's going to be our confession. It won't be our works. It won't be what we've done. But one of the things that we'll have to do and the Bible is very clear about this. As a matter of fact, my wife brought this up to me this week when we were talking about ministry. And that is that each of us will have to give an account of how we've used our time, our talent, and our treasure. 
And as Becky was talking to me, she reminded me of that passage of Scripture where our works, your works and my works, they're going, that, that would be our time, our talent, and our treasure, they're going to be tried as though by fire. And those things that were done with the wrong motivation, they're going to be consumed like wood and hay and stubble. And those things that we did with the right motivation, that we did for the glory of God, because we love one another, because we're good stewards of the time and the talent and the treasure that He's given us. We're good stewards of this planet, this wonderful world that we live in. If we're a good steward of our relationships, we're going to give an accounting to God for that. And Becky, as we were talking, and we just kind of got into a conversation about it, we're going, to be taught, we're going to receive a reward then that is comparable to gold and silver and, and precious stones. And I have to tell you, as a man, you know, I'm not really into gold. I'm not really into silver or precious stones. But I understand the value of what the Bible says there about those objects. In other words, heaven, your place, your role in heaven, you'll be saved but your role in heaven will be based upon how you've stewarded what God has given to you. But the Bible also teaches that you and I can live successfully. The Bible teaches us we can prosper. The Bible teaches us that we can have joy and peace. But the Bible also teaches me that one day I'm going to finish my life in victory and you're going to finish your life in victory. That's my prayer for every one of us at Woodland Church. And if you're listening today, it's my prayer for you. Every time I'm with someone, and it's been a privilege for me. I can't say it's always been a joy, but it's just been a privilege and an honor to be by the bedside of so many when they breathe their last breath and they've gone into heaven. But one of the thoughts that always crosses my mind on my way back home after praying with family and loving family, and I'm driving back home, I think, you know, that person, especially if I know they finished in victory, their accounting to the Lord is going to be glorious and it's going to be wonderful. And on those occasions when I'm called upon to, to serve and to preside over a funeral for someone who, who has not lived for Christ, the you know, you, you comfort the family, but you realize then how important more than ever that receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior and living for God in His glory, it's the most important decision you can make. So I want to talk to you about some things this morning that cause, the Bible uses the word, the shadow, the phrase, the shadow of death. I want to talk to you this morning about things that cause shadows of fear and doubt in our mind. Number one is my emotional and my physical health. My emotional and my physical health. There is what we call true shame and what we call false shame. And a lot of times when it comes to people's health, emotionally and physically, then what we deal with so often is this sense of shame about our health. It's this sense of shame about our physical health and our emotional and our mental health. And sometimes when we deal with that, and I'm speaking of someone who, who grew up trying to cover up my, my handicaps, someone who didn't want anybody to know about my deficiencies, physical deficiencies and physical defects, you know, someone that I still, from time to time, I'll even have dreams about that from my childhood days and my teenage days 
about those things that I had to deal with and how I had to try and just hide them because I didn't want anybody to know. And that sense of shame that accumulated around that, it followed me into my adult years. It followed me into my ministry until one day in Atlanta, Georgia, I was in a, in a prayer service and I remember just crying out to the Lord and God touching me and, and God healing me and God helping me to overcome that and to understand how wonderful that life is and that the body that God gave us is. Let me just give you a few things that I read by a geneticist from Washington University. He said the average heart pumps over 1,000 gallons a day, over 55 million gallons in a lifetime. That's enough to fill 13 super tankers. The heart never sleeps, and it beats two and a half billion times in a lifetime. Listen to this. The lungs contain 1,000 miles of capillaries. And the process of exchanging oxygen for carbon di di dioxide is so complicated that a man would have a better chance of writing the Lord's Prayer on the head of a pen passing by as he was shot out of a cannon. Now think about that. Just that whole process of the exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide that takes place in our lungs. Our DNA contains 2,000 genes per chromosome. 1.8 meters of, of DNA are enfolded into each cell nucleus, and a cell nucleus is six microns long. Now listen, <clears throat> that's like putting 30 miles of fishing line into a cherry pit. And it isn't simply stuffed in, it's folded in. And it's not folded in the same way because if it's folded in one way, it becomes a skin cell. If it's folded in another way, it becomes a liver cell and so forth. To write out all the information in one cell would take 300 volumes of 500 pages thick. Friends, your DNA contains enough, excuse me, your body contains enough DNA that it could circle the sun 260 times. Matter of fact, this geneticist goes on to say, the body uses fuel so efficiently that if a car, if your car's in my car, if our car got the same sort of fuel efficiency that our bodies got, our cars would get 900 miles to the gallon. That just blew me away when I started to think about how God created our bodies. But I remember I was face down. I was in the altar of this church praying, and I had went from my knees. And, and I don't think I've ever shared this, but maybe three or four times in my whole life. And I just lay on the floor, and I began to weep in the presence of God. Because even though I was a young pastor and a young minister, I still didn't really grasp how to be rid of the shame that I felt about my physical health. And that day on the floor, a couple of men gathered around me, had no idea what I was praying about, but they laid hands on my shoulders, these two older mature brothers, and they laid hands on my shoulders, and they began to pray for me. They began to intercede for me in the Spirit. And as they prayed for me, God did a healing work in my life. And for the first time, I was able to admit to myself and to, my, and to the Lord that God had a plan for the way that I was born. God had a plan for my being disabled. And friends, I want, to know, I want you to know today, 
you have nothing to be ashamed of when it comes to your physical health and the body that God has given you. Your body has been affected like my body has by sin. Not because of any sin that you did. Not because of any sin my parents did. Not because of any sin that society did to me. But sin is what has caused the brokenness. And I know sometimes people try to say, and <clears throat> there were people that came to my parents and said they must have had some horrible sin in their life for God to have given them a child born like I was. It broke their hearts, but nothing could be further from the truth. I had people come to me as a young man with that kind of ridiculous thinking and say to me, you know, there must have been something. And no, Jesus said when the disciples asked him, who sinned that this man was born this way? And Jesus said, neither he nor his, it's not their fault, but God had a plan. And I want you to know God has got a plan for you. And because of that, because of that, each of us, we have to deal with the fact we've been marred by sin. You may be what someone calls the perfect physical specimen, but you know your body is not perfect. You know your mental health is not perfect. And you know your spiritual health is not perfect. Now, you can tell yourself that all the time, but you know deep inside of you that there's something wrong. That's the reason some of us deal with pain differently. Some of us have a high tolerance for pain. Some of us have a low tolerance for pain. That's the reason some of you, you have back problems is because your skeletal structure has been affected by it. It's the reason that some of you have emotional problems because of hormone differences or hormone deficiencies in your life. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. And friends, let me also address this. Mental health has been stigmatized in our society, and it shouldn't be. Mental health is just like any other physical health problem. Your body is made up of chemicals, and it affects your physical and mental health this morning. So I want to say to you, your flaws, your flaws, my flaws, that I'm just very transparent with you about, our flaws is what God uses to create our uniqueness and to help us minister. We may not like it, but until we come to terms with it and accept it, that, that, create, that God has used us to create our uniqueness, we will never be able to be used of God the way we want to be used of God. The Apostle Paul, now think with me, the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh. That's how he described it. <clears throat> and he pleaded with God to take it away. We don't know what it was. I tend to think it was a recurring bout of illness that Paul had. It, I don't know what it was, but look with me this morning, if you would, at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 13. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news, that he was he was writing to the Galatian church, the reason I came to you, the reason you heard the gospel is illness way was, you know, just caused me to have to stop in Galatia. Sickness caused me to have to stop there. Now think about that. The Galatians came to know Jesus Christ because Paul got sick. You have a book in your Bible called Galatians, a wonderful book, a, a book that Martin Luther loved and treasured. You have a book in your Bible called Galatians because Paul got sick. I'm telling you, people are going to be in heaven today because the Apostle Paul got sick in Galatia. And so I want you to know, God will use your uniqueness. God will use your flaws. God will use you. Do not be ashamed of your health. Number two, your relationships. You see, there's another thing that affects us is that 
all of us are a product of our relationships, whether they were good relationships or bad relationships, especially the relationships that we had in our life when we were younger. You're a product of your relationships, whether they were, were loving relationships or whether they were abusive relationships. Whether you had abundant relationships in your life or whether relationships were just about non-existent in your life. We're a product of the relationships, both healthy and unhealthy. And the way that I see myself and the way that you see yourself, the way everybody sees herself, is determined largely by the relationships that we have. As a matter of fact, our relationships are so important. I want you to get this. <clears throat> our relationships are so important that many adults, probably you this morning, many adults see themselves, think of themselves, talk to themselves. Their conscious thinking is all about those early relationships that were formed in their life. And that's why parents is so important to love your children, to affirm your children, to catch them doing things right. When you correct them, to correct them in love so that they know that they're loved. It's why I've said to you over and over and over, you've got to make sure that Jesus is the most important person in your life. You ask any of the young people here at this church, at, at Woodland Church, when they start talking to me about love and dating and eventually we'll talk about marriage, I will tell them each one, you make sure that you marry someone that loves Jesus even more than you. When I meet with couples to do premarital counseling with them, I meet with them alone and I'll ask the fiancés, I'll ask them, I'll say, does she, does he love Jesus, you think, more than you do? And whenever I meet with someone and they say, I don't think so, I begin to tell them what I want to tell you right now, and that is the way that a person loves God will determine how they love you. If they put God first in their life, they will put you where you need to be in life. And the closer that you come to God, the closer that you come together. One time, a, a smart man, he was a religious man, he asked Jesus, he says, Jesus, what's the most important commandment that there is? And that commandment that Jesus said, it just could kind of be summed up with this. It's love. And I'll come to that verse in just a moment. But when Jesus said that most important commandment is love, it's important to remember then, my purpose in life is largely determined by the relationships I have. My self-identity in life is largely determined by the relationships I have. How far I go in life is largely determined by the relationships I have. That's why when I talked to you earlier about how sin has marred everything in creation, it is so important to understand that sin has marred our relationships. That's why there are no perfect relationships. Becky and I don't have a perfect relationship. <clears throat> I love her with all my heart. I am totally devoted to her. But we will never know a perfect relationship until we're in heaven. Do we have a, a wonderful relationship? Absolutely. Do we have a loving relationship? Absolutely. Is she my best friend? Absolutely. But the simple fact of the matter is all of our relationships have been marred. You see, sin, if it's not dealt with, like we talked about last week when we talked about Easter. Remember, we talked about, wow, that Christ died and then was resurrected for us on the third day and what all that meant. Sin disconnects us from God. And until I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, 
I'm afraid of God. I may deny that he exists, but I want to tell you something. I've had a lot of conversations with atheists over the years. I preached a message here at this church, oh, years and years ago, that I simply wrote and entitled, Does God Believe an Atheist? Not does an atheist believe in God, but you see, God believes in you whether you believe in you or not, whether you believe in him or not. God believes in you. But so many times when I talk to these atheists, people who say they're atheists, when there comes down a critical point in their life, so many of them have said to me, would you pray for me? You see, deep inside every one of us, there is this sense that we're disconnected from God. And maybe we want to be our own God. Maybe we want to come to God on our own terms. But we have to come to God through Christ, through His cleansing and atoning blood for us. And what that means is that when Jesus died for our sins, He washed us free from all of our sins. He purged it from our lives. And He made the perfect sacrifice of His life so that we could be at one, in one relationship with God. Because if I allow sin to keep me disconnected from God, I will not only fear God, but in my relationships, I will blame other people, just like Adam and Eve did. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They blamed one another. Adam blamed God. Eve blamed the devil. Adam said that my wife did it. You know, Sin causes us to accuse one another and to blame one another, and it's everybody else's fault. As a matter of fact, unreconciled, unrecon- dealing with your sin, unreconciled sin, unreconciled sin will deal with unreconciled relationships. Because what happens is we continue to go through life blaming our problems on our dysfunctional parents, blaming our problems on our alcoholic dad, our abusive mom, our dad that was never home, and we never take responsibility for our own relationships. And so it is key and it's important to understand how sin disconnects us. But Adam and Eve did something else. Adam and Eve covered up their sin. They, they tried to hide from God. They tried to cover up their nakedness. God never told them to cover up. God never told them to hide. God told them one thing. He says, do not eat from the tree of the, of, the, of the knowledge of good and evil. And you see, unless there's a choice, there can't be love. And sometimes when people rail against God, what they should be doing is railing against sin. Eventually, we'll find out there were some choices made about this coronavirus pandemic that's caused it to be a worldwide pandemic. And I can promise you, the choices that cause us to be a worldwide pandemic were not made out of love. They were made to try to cover up, just the way that China tried to silence several doctors who wanted to expose it. You see, those decisions are not made out of love. They're made out of fear. They're made out of political gain. But when you love, you make the right choices. And the more disconnected I come, become from God, the more disconnected I become from other people as well. Samuel Taylor Coleridge once described his own son as waking up during the middle of the night and he called out for his mother. He says, Mother, come touch me. Come touch me. And when his mother walked into his room, she said to her son, she says, Why do you want me to touch you? He says, Mom, I don't exist until you touch me. And friends, I want you to know this morning, there is a sense in our lives that we feel like our lives don't matter. 
That's the reason so many of our university students are taught that your life doesn't matter. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow. You're just like an animal. You matter to God. You matter to this church. You matter to me. That's why I'm standing here preaching this morning, sharing the Word of God with you. And so, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment of all? He said, it's this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. When Jesus was asked about what's the most important relationship and how it's important, it's to love God, to love each other. You can sum up the entire Bible in that word, love. When I was a child, there was a song we used to sing called, He Touched Me, and all the joy that flood my soul. Suddenly something happened, and now I know. He touched me, and He made me whole. God wants to touch you today, friend, and God wants to make you whole. Come on, victory. Hallelujah. Why don't you just lift your hands in your family room and just thank the Lord for that right now and bless His name that God wants to touch you and He has touched us in Christ. And it's amazing to me that Jesus reached out and He touched Peter and He touched Thomas. He he invited Thomas to touch me. Put your hands here. Put your fingers here. Put your hand here, Thomas. God wants to touch you today, friend. I know that. You know that. God wants to touch your relationships as well. Well, the third thing I'd like us to look at that sin is marred, and that's all of our circumstances. And the circumstances of life are the things that they happen to us. And sometimes bad things happen because we live in a world that sin is marred. You know, the pandemic is a bad thing. I think God is bringing good things out of this pandemic. Pandemic's a bad thing. I've got a member of our congregation who is a dear friend, someone that I've spent, Becky and I and our kids have shared meals around their table many times. We've watched football games together as families. And what she's going through this morning is a bad thing. What my dear friend who's in the hospital this morning being treated because of age-related problems, it's a bad thing. Sometimes circumstances happen because of the world that we live in. And I'm sure that all of us, Becky and I included, are going through things right now that we see this is a bad thing. This circumstance is not a good thing. But the confidence that we have is that God is going to bring good out of it. God makes good. We say it sometimes so tritely, but we really need to remind ourselves that in everything, God works for the good of those that love Him and for the glory of His name. In everything, including a pandemic like this. Let me talk to you for a moment about a young man named Daniel. His parents were killed. His city was destroyed. And he was brought to to a city, a, a city that he didn't want to be a part of called Babylon. And in Babylon, he was chosen and his friends were chosen that they were going to, to serve the king of Babylon. Really, it was more like an emperor. And so they put them on a strict diet and educational regiment. But Daniel had determined in his heart that he was not going to sin. 
Daniel and his friends had determined that things went bad. You know, it looked like God wasn't in control because the temple had been destroyed, Jerusalem had been destroyed, and now he is a captive and a slave to this pagan emperor king. But you know, when everything around you falls apart, you need to remember God is still in control. And if you'll determine in your heart not to sin against God, but to honor God, you will see the invisible hand of God at work in your life. Look at Daniel 1.8 with me. Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. In other words, there were certain things on this diet that was forbidden to Daniel and his friends because of their faith in God. And because of their faith in God, they made a choice that honored God, and God honored them. And to make a long, long story short, my, one of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of Daniel, God raised Daniel up. He brought him through the lion's den. He brought him through so many problems. And Daniel advised several kings and rose to the top of the kingdom. I want you to understand when you are dealing with bad circumstances, you keep your faith in God. God is going to cause you to rise above those circumstances. I have a friend down in Georgia. <clears throat> he used to sing a song. And when he would sing that song, I literally, because I knew the things that he was dealing with and what he'd been through in life, but he sang a song, I'm going to rise so high. And when he would sing that song, he's a big, tall man, and that wingspan he's got is huge, and he would lift that, those hands up as he would sing, I'm going to rise so high, and he was talking about living life in the Holy Spirit, and I knew his circumstances, but he, like Daniel, had chose to live by faith in God, and you know what? God did. God pulled him through. God made him the top and not the bottom. Number four, sin is more to our conscience. Sin is more to our conscience. And all of us have a conscience, and all of us have to deal with our conscience. Some of us, the Bible talks about, we can scar our conscience, we can deaden our conscience, but that conscience is still there. And sometimes when people ask me, <clears throat> what is my conscience? Conscience is just simply how I talk to myself. It's those loops that I replay over and over in my mind. There is a music loop at the end of the service today, and when I asked how long the loop was, they told me it was 10 minutes long. And that loop of music, unless it's stopped, will just play over and over the same tune. Some people are playing the same loop over and over to themselves all the time. How you talk to yourself is how you think about yourself. And I want you to think about this. If you talk to your friends the way you talk to yourself sometime, they wouldn't be your friend anymore. I've thought so many times to myself when I have done something foolish, I've gone, stupid, stupid, stupid. You know, and my wife hates me to say that word, but it just comes out, you know. And then I realize there are things that I think about myself, they don't line up with the Word of God. And so it's important that I learn how to allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to shape my identity. The book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 2 says this, If there were worshipers who already have their sins washed away and their consciences made clear, there would not be any need to go on offering sacrifices. You know the reason for a lot of religious activity is because people are trying to get a clear conscience. It may be through <clears throat> Hinduism or Buddhism or Confucianism or Islam. Some people even try to practice Christianity to clear their conscience. 
The only thing that will clear our conscience is the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And then when we are forgiven of our sins and sin has lost its power in our lives, then we need to let our conscience begin to influence our identity by saying about ourselves what the Word of God says about us. Because what I say about myself is going to determine my future. I know that what I say about my children is going to shape their futures. I know that what I say to to this congregation is going to shape the future. What you say, if you're a small group leader, how you lead your small group is how you're going to shape the future of that small group. If you're an encourager, they'll be encouraged. If If you're a doubter, they will doubt. If you're a critic, they will be critical. What we have to learn to do is allow the Word of God to shape how we talk to ourselves because how we talk to ourselves in our unconscious moments will be how we talk to other people as well. It's why the Bible says, be careful, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Your thoughts run your life. Well, let me wrap up this morning just by talking to you about some simple choices you can make this morning that the Bible calls the antidote for fear and shame. We're looking for an antidote right now to this coronavirus and this past week, uh, one company's stock just shot sky high because it looks like, and I pray they have, <clears throat> have discovered a cure for the, or an antidote for the coronavirus. And if they have, it's going to be a blessing for everybody. It'll be a financial blessing for those who's invested into the stock. But there is an antidote for fear, and there's an antidote for shame. And so I want you to go to Matthew 11 and verse 28 with me this morning. And I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Maybe Islam has burned you out. Maybe Confucianism has burned you out. Maybe Buddhism has burned you out. Maybe secularism has burned you out. Maybe your hope in your education has burned you out. And maybe you've approached Christianity as works And you're just burned out on trying to do it all the right way. Jesus is talking to you this morning. The Bible is alive. It's a living word. And so don't just treat this as me talking. This is God's word to you. Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. Jesus, come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. And I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live lightly and freely. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? Let me illustrate that this way. As a young man, I was trying to earn some extra money and put some money away. And, and so I started cutting grass on the side just to earn a few extra dollars and put them away. Well, there was a wealthy family in our community that I went to and offered them a a contract to cut their grass, and and they lived on a huge hill, a huge hill, beautiful home, and we often pass it when we're in Georgia. And I pointed this out to my children, but I'm trying to mow that grass on that hill, and it's just hot weather, and I'm pushing and mowing, and this, this old man stopped in a truck, and he got out of his truck, and he walked into that yard, and he said, Son, 
Let me show you how to do that in a much more efficient and in an easier way. And I looked at this old man. He was bent over. He was kind of shriveled up. And I said, sir, this is a steep hill. And he goes, let me show you how to do this. I had a lawn care business for years. And that man took that lawnmower and that hill, tied a rope out of his pickup truck. Everybody in Georgia's got a pickup truck and a rope. And he tied that rope to that truck. And he began to lower that mower. And it stayed level on the ground. It cut, pulled that mower back up, let it down again. And I looked at him. He hadn't even broke a sweat. And it's August. It's hot weather. And so he taught me that day a lot about this scripture because you see we make christianity hard when jesus says in the king james version he describes it as a yoke that is easy and light and jesus says learned if you can put the verse of scripture back up on the screen for me wayne learn the unforced rhythms of grace learn the unforced Rhythms of grace. Say that out loud as a family. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me daily. Spend time with Jesus. Daily walk in fellowship with Jesus. And you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. You know, I want to give you now just real quickly for your growth work. And you, they're in the app, but you may want to write them down if you don't have the app up. How to make some godly choices. Number one, make some godly choices for your health. Don't complain about your health. I'm a healthy man today. I've had over 40 major surgeries. My hips have been totally broken and turned around, pulled around in my life. I had to learn to walk as a child through crippled children's clinics. I've had two colostomies in my life, but I am a healthy man today. I'm probably healthier today than I was the day I graduated from high school. But here's the point I want to make to you this morning. You've got to make godly choices for your health. The Bible gives us some really good principles for health, for the stewardship of our mental health, for the stewardship of our physical health, and for the stewardship of our spiritual health. The Bible says, <clears throat> look at this, David prayed, he says, Lord, you made, in Psalms 119, verse 73, you made my body, Lord, now give me the sense to heed your laws. Have the good sense to obey the word of the Lord. If it's physical health problems that you're having today, see your doctor when this is over. Get on a good, healthy diet. Exercise. I know you've heard me say this, but exercise. If you're having emotional problems today, could I just suggest to you, you, one of the healthiest things you can do is just get before the Lord and lift your hands and worship and pray and think about and reflect upon what the Bible says. And then for your spiritual health, determine you're going to live a godly life. That's called holiness. And you say, Pastor, what's a godly life? What's holiness? It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's self-control, it's long-suffering. It's all of those things where we love God with all of our heart and we love our neighbors ourselves. I'd say to you also, get into a, a small group this morning for the sake of your relationships. Everybody needs a small group. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, 
There is no room for love and fear. Now think about that. There is no room for love and fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is a crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. What's this passage of Scripture saying? It's saying sin has disconnected us from God. It's disconnected us from one another. But when we know the love of God that's been shed abroad in Christ Jesus, when we accept that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, suddenly our relationship with God is not lived in fear of judgment and death. Our relationship with one another is not trying to cover up and hide our fears or live in shame, but we're able to live with one another in healthiness and holiness. So I would say to you this morning, if there's unforgiveness in your heart, forgive your brother or your sister. Forgive your wife. Forgive your husband. If it's been a really serious transgression, they need to rebuild trust. We've talked about that. But learn how to walk in forgiveness. But get into a small group where you can Open up about those things that frighten you, or those things that maybe you're ashamed of. And then finally, I would say to you this morning, live a considerate life. And then for your faith, the third thing, I want you to develop your faith this morning. And the best way I know how to develop your faith, I want you to look with me at Psalms 34. I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. I will constantly speak of His glories and grace. Let's read that together. It's still on the screen. I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. I will constantly speak of His glories and grace. I don't let a day go by that I don't lift my hands in worship, that I don't sing to the Lord and make a joyful noise to the Lord because it's one of the healthiest things that I can do for my faith. It's not about praying at that time. It's not about Bible study at that time. I always have my Bible with me, though, when I'm doing that. But I get on my knees and I lift my hands to Him. And as I worship Him, He gives strength to me. As I worship Him, He encourages me. As I worship Him, my confidence grows. As I worship Him, my insight develops. I could go on and on, but one of the healthiest things you can do for your spiritual health is to praise and worship the Lord. And it doesn't matter whether anybody else enjoys my singing or not. I sing and I make a joyful noise to the Lord because when I sing to the Lord, it magnifies Him, it glorifies Him, and it lifts my spirits as well. So no matter what happens, I will constantly praise the Lord. And then fourthly, for your thought life this morning, how you talk to yourself you know, those, that loop that goes on in your mind, if you want to break that negative, self-condemning, defeatist loop, then I'd like for you to look with me, if you would, this morning at two passages of Scripture. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You see, as you meditate on the Bible, as you reflect upon the Bible, as you begin to confess what the Bible says about you. You're His beloved. You're the apple of His eye. You're more than an overcomer. You have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Those aren't things I say about you. Those are things that God says about you. As you 
meditate upon scriptures like the hands of the diligent, he will prosper. I am so proud of our staff here at the church. I'm so proud of my family. I have seen everyone remain diligent, even our, our children that live away from home in Missouri and in North Carolina, when we've talked to them, they've all been diligent. And God will prosper the hands of the diligent. That's what God says about you. If you honor Him, He will honor you. That's what God says about you. If you honor others, you will be honored. So confess what the Word says about you. Look at Philippians 4.8. Fix your thoughts. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Think about the things excellent and worthy of praise. You've heard me say this on the daily updates two times this week. I listen to the news in the morning. I listen to it in the evening. And then after that, I have nothing else to do with the news. I keep my thoughts fixed upon the Word of God. As a matter of fact, I don't normally do this because I'm, a, I'm more of a, a, a visual learner than I am an audible learner. But when I'm exercising, I'm using my Bible app and I'm just listening to selected scriptures on my Bible app and letting it play over and over in my mind. Because I know as your pastor, I know as a member of this community, it's important that my thought life be whole and strong and my faith be strong and able to serve well in this community. And then finally this morning, my most important point of all, if you haven't yet, choose Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because Jesus will save you from sin so that He can save you from hell, so that He can save you for heaven, but so that He can give you that abundant life of salvation today of joy and love and peace and grace and God's divine favor. It's not a matter of works. It's a matter of learning to live lightly and freely in Christ. Anyone, look at 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who belongs to Christ Jesus has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. Hallelujah. When you give your heart to Jesus, I don't know how it happens. I just know it does. I'm not the same that I used to be. And I want you to hear me. When this service is over, if you will confess Jesus as your Savior, if you will give your heart to Jesus Christ, if you'll do that today, you won't be the same. You won't be the same, I promise you. Your life won't be the same. Your marriage won't be the same. Your family won't be the same because you've changed. God has changed you. You won't be bound. You won't be oppressed. You won't be tormented. But God Himself will move in and take residence in your heart. And He'll give you a brand new life and a fresh start. I love you. I mean that with all of my heart. Even though I don't know you, perhaps I want you to know I sincerely love you. And I want to pray with you right now. Would you join me in prayer? If you've never given your heart to Jesus, would you this morning, would you just bow your head and close your eyes, and would you pray with me right now? Just pray these words out loud, or you can pray them quietly, but say, dear God, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I believe in you, Jesus, 
And I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe that you will cleanse my life. You will purge my life of every sin. I don't understand it all. But as much as I know how, I'm committing my life to you today, Lord Jesus. I'm giving you everything I have. And Lord, I pray that even right now, that God, the shame of my sin will just melt away. That my fear of you, my fear in relationships, God, it will all disappear. For I believe that you are making me a new creation by faith through grace this morning. And I ask this all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Friend, I love you. If you prayed that prayer, would you please let us know? Would you contact us? I've got a gift I want to send you to help you get started. I'll send you a Bible with study helps in it that uh, you can read all about your new life in Jesus. If you will communicate with us, I'll be happy to email with you or somebody on our staff will be happy to contact you. We have others in our church will be happy to help you understand this decision you've made for Christ. And you know, family, I'd like to say one more time this morning, thank you. Thank you for joining in. Thank you for worshiping with us. I miss you. And I can't wait till we're all back. It's just not the same looking out here without your being here today. And before I go, would you please be sure to be faithful with your tithes and with your offerings, your missions offerings? This is the time of the month where I'm getting ready to send in our, our mission support for all of the missionaries and the ministries that we're supporting. And we depend upon you to be able to support all of these missions around the world. And if you're not a part of Woodland Church, please don't feel like I'm trying to shake you down for money. Or please, don't, you know, you just feel free to listen. But if you do want to give, please feel free to give. You can go to woodland.church and give, or you can text 77977 and just type one word, no spaces, Woodland Church, and you can uh, text to give that way. But I want to assure you, if you're listening, I'm talking to our church about their financial stewardship and faithfulness. We're not trying to shake you down or anything like that. We do love you. We'll give you anything we've got to try and serve you with. Well, on behalf of our staff that's joined here with us this morning, a big thanks to all of them and to, to Wayne Kittle as well for coming in and making this possible. Be sure you reach out to them through Facebook or email, somewhere or another, and thank them for all the hard work that they're doing to make this possible each and every day for us. God bless you real good. I love you.